This is sort of surreal. <laughs> so they're letting me preach. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, let's just say a prayer for the elders and for Becca, who are sweating bullets right now. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, but the, like he said, for those who don't know me, so my name's Zach. I'm one of the deacons here. I've been going to Redemption, uh, what used to be the well, uh, for just shy of a decade uh, now. So I've been here since we were in the little space on Broad Street. I think there's still a few OGs left from back then. Uh, and then we moved down to, to Pizza Joint, uh, right beside Pizza Joint. Uh, so I've been here since then. Uh, I moved here from Florida when I was in high school. Uh, and so... Uh, I went to North Augusta High School, I uh, went to Augusta State for college, uh, or Augusta University, or whatever they're calling it these days, I don't know, they name it uh, so many different things, but after that I met Becca uh, after I graduated college, and we got married in November of 2014, so coming up on five years, everybody cheer for her, because that's uh, a miracle <laughs> that uh, she hasn't run. But <laughs> uh, well, like I said, uh, if there's one thing that I feel pretty confident that most people know here is that I'm constantly trying to filter the thoughts that are happening in my head from coming out of my mouth. And so just keep an eye on the elders. It's going to be really funny to watch them as I keep talking today. Uh, but I'm just kidding. Let's, uh, let's read our scripture for today, uh, and then we'll pray together. Uh, our scripture today comes from 1 John uh, chapter 5, verse 6. Uh, this is he who came by the water and blood, Jesus Christ, Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe in God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's pray together. Uh, God, I come to you... uh, God, just asking that you preach through me today, uh, that your words uh, be spoken. Uh, God, we know that as man we are fallible, uh, but as God you are not. Uh, God, ease my nerves as I'm doing something that's out of my comfort zone, uh, not for any reason other than to not be a barrier uh, to your word, God, and to your gospel. God, I pray for our church, and I pray that we can take... uh, Valid action points uh, from today's text, God. It's in your name. Amen. So, who do you believe Jesus is? All right, let's start there. It's sort of like an elementary Sunday school question, right? Like, who is God? Who is Jesus? Uh, But I really want you guys to take a second and think about it. So maybe you think that he's like this great teacher. Maybe you believe he was a prophet. Uh, maybe he was just this dude that went around telling people that things, uh, kind of weird things, but he seemed like an overall cool guy, right? As I was thinking about this, I was thinking it's hard to find many people out like who outwardly don't like Jesus, right? Whenever they talk about Christianity and don't like Christianity, Jesus really isn't ever the first thing that they talk about. It's usually the problem with uh, non-believers uh, that they have is the church, is the people who represent Jesus. 
But now that you have that image and description of Jesus fresh in your minds, uh, I want you to think about where that was informed by. So maybe, uh, maybe it was informed by the, I would say, the most effective ministry tool to date, the flannel graph. Does anybody remember those things? Becca didn't remember it. I was going through it with her yesterday. I was like, you know, it's a little thing. You stick the guy on there and then, okay. Anyways, it was in Sunday school. That's where I remember kind of my first image of Jesus. Maybe you remember it as like a picture in your grandma's hallway with his blonde hair and his blue eyes and all of his waspy splendor. Uh, <laughs> but where did you, uh, were you older maybe when you first came to know Jesus? Maybe it wasn't through an image. Maybe you don't have that image that pops in your head of Jesus. Maybe it's something a little more abstract, something somebody's done for you, something somebody said, or like a generous uh, thing that somebody's done. If you have a relationship with Jesus, or even if you don't, what preconceived notions have informed your view of him? Like, where did that view come from? I'll never forget uh, one, one master's week. Uh, I worked for a catering company. It was a crazy week. And so we ran food, right? Ran food back and forth from like this catering place where we made food and we would go to all these hospitality houses. And I'll never forget, uh, we rode by, we were going Washington Road because that was the only way to get there. Uh, and I'll never forget uh, the people that were holding signs like out in front of the master's who claim to be Christians, and, and they may be, and, and they probably are, but they were holding up the signs and just with really hateful things on them, telling people they were going to hell, just yelling with like so much hate and vigor, right? Uh, and, I, and my friend who was with me wasn't a Christian, and he, I just, I'll never forget the look in his eyes and just like, why, why do Christians act like that? He's like, why? And, and that was a conversation to be had, uh, which we had nothing but time, and it but I'll never forget that image, and, and I'm sure he won't either. Like, that could have been one of the first times that he had seen Christ represented. And it was with yelling and pointing and loudspeakers, right? It's weird. That's kind of a weird thing to, to have your image informed by. I'm asking these things today because I want us to get to the root of our image of Jesus. Like, where did that come from? The reason I want us to get there is because I believe that's what John's doing in the passage. I believe that John is boldly saying who Jesus is, why we can have faith that this is true, and what that means for those who do believe. So we're going to dive into those things today, just a little bit. Uh, and we're going to talk about what John's doing in the passage, and then I want us to just spend some of our time discussing what that means for us here at Redemption Church and for those who call themselves Christians. So let's first kind of take a look at what John is saying uh, it's sort of a weird scripture, right? When I met with Reggie, he's like, did you request this one? I was like, no, I just, this is what was given to me. He's like, yeah, it's kind of weird. It's a weird passage. I'm like, yeah, thanks, man. Uh, <laughs> making me feel great. So it, it took a long time, but I've had a few months to kind of prepare for it and read through it. Uh, so we see all throughout 1 John, right, that he keeps repeating these things over and over. keeps coming back to different things. Uh, he talks a lot about how we know we are Christians, how we know we are saved. Uh, and then he kind of flips in this chapter. It's a little bit different, right? He's talking about the subject of our belief, and not necessarily if we know that we are believers, but he talks about who we believe in in this first part. So, uh, it seems simple, though, right? Like, there shouldn't need to be a thing about, like, who Jesus is. It's a pretty simple question. He's the Son of God, right? Boom, next step. We know that. Uh, 
Um, but if we remember, and as people have said as they've been preaching through this book, at the time, Gnosticism was on the rise. Uh, and for those that weren't here, don't know what that is necessarily. Gnosticism was sort of like this religious mysticism, and they would take parts of Christianity, parts of uh, just like the things that happen, and they would sort of twist them just a little or put different beliefs on it, sometimes just slightly, sometimes very perversely. <clears throat> And so it was important for, Jan, uh, for John to, to really go through who Jesus was to speak during this time because of the Gnosticism that was on the rise. Uh, one particular thing that they were teaching this time was that they were saying that God was not full, or Jesus was not fully God. Uh, they were saying that he was only God after being baptized and, and before being crucified. That when he was put to death, he was no longer fully God. However... We know that this could not. We know that he. Uh, we know that if he was not fully God when he was put to death, then the word of God, God's testimony, would be untrue, and that would make him a liar. We see John say this in verse ten, right? He says, "Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony of God is born concerning his Son." So who does John say that Jesus is? If we rewind a little, like I said, in verse 5, we see that Jesus is the Son of God. That's how he ends verse 5 before coming into to verse 6. And that's like a bold statement, right? I mean, it's easy for us who go to church every Sunday. You're like, yeah, he's the Son of God. Because you hear that over and over. We preach that to each other over and over. But that's a bold statement. You can ask Becca. I've made a lot of bold statements in my life. Uh, a lot of them were not smart statements. Uh, if you ever want to see your bold statements, just get on like Time Hop or Facebook Memories. You can see a lot of stupid, I mean, bold things that you've said in the past. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about the one I saw this week. Uh, but anyways, he says it, uh, and he puts this very boldly when you think about that. Jesus, who was fully human, was also fully the Son of God. And this isn't the first time John's told us this. He tells us this in the Gospel very elegantly. In uh, John 1.14, he says, And the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So how does John back up like this bold statement? Right? How does he back it up? Uh, how does he back up this statement about a carpenter from Nazareth being the Son of God? This like guy who nobody knows, or just you know, he's just this guy. The beauty of it is that he doesn't. He doesn't have to. God has. God's already confirmed this. And John tells us this in verses 7 and 8. He says, There are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. So that was kind of where things got a little weird for me. I was like, man, what does this mean, the Spirit, the water, and the blood? And so I had to do a lot of research and that's not my favorite thing. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I just kind of started reading through things and started researching this. And basically, there are two schools of thought uh, when he's talking about the water and the blood. So the first school of thought that people kind of have is that it's either uh, when Jesus was pierced in his side and the water and the blood flowed out of his side uh, when the guards pierced, his, uh, pierced him through the side. The more widely regarded uh, belief or widely regarded uh, Kind of translation of this is that the water and blood refer to Jesus being baptized uh, and then dying on the cross and shedding his blood for us. <clears throat> John is telling us that we can have complete faith that Jesus is the Son of God because he was baptized by the water, he received the Spirit, and he was put to death on the cross. 
But I don't want us to forget the exclamation point, right, at the end of that. The exclamation point is that he rose from the dead. He resurrected three days later. There's no way Jesus could have defeated death if he was not fully God. If he was not God when he died, how did he come back? Man can't do that. If he was not fully God, our salvation would be a moot point, right? It would mean nothing. Our existence would be grim. But that's not the case, right? John shows us in those verses that Jesus is fully God. Our existence is not grim. In fact, let's take a look at what John is saying or the implications for those who believe this testimony. In verse 9, he says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has his Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. So this life isn't grim, right? Because it's not over. It's not just an existence for nothing. Like our eternal life starts now. He encourages the believers he is writing to to believe that the testimony as God has laid out, not the testimony that man has laid out. John isn't asking for blind faith. He's not just saying, just believe me. Uh, so one of my least favorite sayings when I was a kid uh, was because I said so. Uh, and my mom used that saying a lot. <laughs> I'll never forget like trying to spend the night at my friend's house. And you know, you try to like weasel your way to do it. Like mom said no, but then you go to dad and he doesn't know that mom said no. And then he says yes. They'll try to do all those. But even when they both said no, I would pester him, right? And I'd be like, why? Why can't I do that? Why? 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 And so my mom actually told me I should be a lawyer because I was such an insistent arguer. Uh, but I'll never, I mean, every time, it never failed. I would always wear them down to the point of that final why. And they would finally say, because I said so. And that's it. That's all you need to know. And I think it's cool that John's not doing this here, right? John's not saying, believe because I said so. He isn't saying, believe because I was there and I saw it and you should believe me. He isn't saying, because of the testimonies of the other men who were there, believe. Believe because they saw it. John is saying, believe because it is the testimony of God. When we let go of our unbelief, rooted in what man says, and accept the testimony of God, we have eternal life. This sentiment should inflame our passion for Jesus and should humble our hearts. So we're going to spend this next part just kind of talking about what the implications are for us as believers here at Redemption. Like how, now that we know kind of like what John is saying to take root in Jesus, who Jesus is, and we have this testimony that we believe that Jesus is, is real uh, because God has given these things that testify uh, what does this mean for us? And as I was kind of thinking through this and meditating, uh, I, I came back to two sentiments, uh, really two themes, uh, in response to the gravity of this text. The confidence that John has in God should inspire us to be bold and unafraid in our faith. And the second being that the fact that we have the same spirit that Christ had 
should humble our hearts as we seek to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus. So as we start talking about boldness and faith, there's kind of three areas that I want us to focus on in our boldness. Uh, The first being the confidence uh, in God's testimony, that it's true, right? That we can have faith and we can be bold because God has told us his testimony. We must be unafraid and unfaltering in our confidence that the scriptures are the inherent word of God, even when the testimony of man tells us otherwise. 2 Timothy Timothy 3.16 tells us all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. I know most of us have heard that scripture, right? Like it's a pretty famous scripture for those of us who go to church often. Uh, A lot of times you hear that uh, as an argument uh, for that my side of the argument's right. Uh, The Bible is the inherent word of God. Uh, And it has a lot of uh, weight in that argument, I think. But I want us to dig just a tad deeper in that and think through it. that The scripture is the testimony of God. Because it is not our own testimony, we can be bold and brave in what we proclaim. We are fallible, right? Man is fallible. So any testimony that comes from us is then fallible. But the testimony that comes from God, the scriptures, are infallible. So I want us to have boldness in that. Like, that should be where we start from. Like, we have his word. And we should be reading his word. And we should, we should really dive into his word and have confidence that what it is is true, no matter what man says. The second part where I want us to have confidence is uh, that God has equipped us. Right? He's given us his spirit. Uh, I told Reggie before I came up here, I was really nervous. And he's like, that's great, because you have the Holy Spirit. So you've been equipped. Right? There's nothing you're doing up there that the Holy Spirit is. So I want us to have confidence that God has equipped us. But what stops us from being bold? What stops us from being bold in the fact that God has equipped us? Uh, And so I was thinking through that. And if I kind of zoom out, we know that fear is what thwarts our braveness, right? It's what stops our braveness uh, is when we're afraid. Uh, And then we know from later in 2 Timothy that God did not give us a spirit of fear, right? He gave us his Holy Spirit. God equipped us with the Holy Spirit so we can be bold and we can proclaim so if I can be like particularly vulnerable with you guys, I'll share kind of how Satan has used fear in my life uh, to squelch uh, the boldness in sharing the gospel. Uh, and something that I still deal with and struggle with and, and think through. Uh, but I've never been like a particularly smart guy, right? Like uh, Becca always gets mad when I say that. I'm like, oh, it's fine. I can memorize things. I get the test done. I was always really good at that. I'd, you know, whatever it was, I, I, I could get through it. Uh, I'm ashamed to admit that my mantra in college was C's get degrees. Uh, Please, kids in the room, Magnus, don't take that away. It did not work well for me. Uh, I'll never forget getting to my first uh, job interview, uh, and the employer said, so yeah, okay, what was your GPA in college? I was like, well, GPA? I got a degree, so we don't need to worry (laughs) about I was like, it was kind of like Tommy Boy. I was like, 2.459 or 7. Uh, <laughs> just name numbers until they're like, that's a good one. I'd like that number. 
<laughs> but I digress. You can see where my fear comes from not being an intellectual. Like, that's just not my thing. I don't study books. It's not particularly fun for me. It is for my wife. She's in a book club. Uh, I'm sorry. It's not fun for me. I don't go to book club. I don't geek out over statistics or theology uh, or apologetics. Uh, but the weird thing is, is that I like find myself hanging out with people who are that way. Like I hang out with some like wicked smart people, just really smart people who could talk circles around me because of their knowledge and their depth of understanding. And I don't know why that attracts me, probably because that's not what I am. And I, and, you know, I, I like listening to that. Um, but if I'm being honest, uh, I find myself getting quiet in conversations that could lend themselves towards the gospel. Uh, or if I'm being probably even more honest, it's not that I get quiet, it's that I make jokes. And that kind of helps me uh, deflect uh, so that I don't have to try to dig into what little knowledge I do have. Uh, but while going through this passage, I've been convicted that my boldness shouldn't come from my wisdom, my intellect. My boldness should come from the Spirit who lives in me. God gave me the Spirit when I professed my faith in Him, and I must show particular courage to embrace conversations that may reach beyond my intellect. And to trust that the Spirit lead those conversations. And the last part where I want us to see our, our confidence or our boldness is in our salvation. Uh, one more area, uh, or John assures us in this text rather, that, that we have eternal life because of our faith. Right? Uh, this isn't something that teeters back and forth. I want us to be really confident in this and, and just take a second to breathe on this. Uh, our salvation doesn't waver. We aren't any more or less saved one day versus the next. Because I perform better or less worldly one day versus the next. Our salvation is set and our sins have been wiped out for good. It's done. Take faith in that and be bold in that. I know it's terrifying to go back and forth and be like, man, I don't, I said a cuss word today. I'm not saved like that. Or I did whatever it is, we're going to sin, but be bold in your faith that you've been saved. This isn't it, right? We talked about this. There's eternal life. When you really begin to think about your salvation, I know that fear can be crippling. But if you feel like you constantly have to win Christ's affection, hear me. Stop. You don't have to win Christ's affection. We could never do it. It was a gift. Christ loves you. He died for you. Find rest and peace in that and let his testimony live through you. But as we talk about being bold, I kind of want to shift gears. I want us to talk about, really anytime we talk about being bold, I think there should be like a caveat or this like continual coming back to Jesus. It's so easy for us to be caught up in being crusaders for God that we completely forego the humble nature of Jesus. And don't hear me wrong, there's nothing wrong with being a crusader of God. We should be. Uh, but many times Christians are quick to let sin enter and let ourselves be puffed up about being right, that we completely forget about the grace that was given to us by God's choice. James 4, 6 tells us, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When I graduated college, uh, it was 2010. Uh, if you guys 
Remember 2008, there was the huge housing bust, and, and we hit like this awful recession, right? Uh, I got my college degree, got those C's, got my degree, and I was out. I was trying to find a job, uh, and this is why we don't have that mantra, because I ended up washing golf carts at a country club, like part-time. And I was getting just like hustled by the high school kids who also did it, because they would know the, the carts that would come in with the guys who tipped. And it was usually like the, the two dads would be in the back cart and then the sons would be in the front cart. And they're like, yeah, you take the first one, we'll take the second one because the dads are the ones who tipped. Anyways, I was getting hustled, right? It was kind of a, it was a low point in my life. Uh, to say I was broke would be a vast understatement. You can ask my creditors at the time. Uh, my debt was piling up. I was unable to pay rent and to make matters worse, my parents cut me off completely. Uh, at some point when I had quit paying my dad, he's like, all right, that's cool. No more anything. Uh, not from a relationship, but just financially. But one day at church, back when we were uh, at the well and we were meeting over by a pizza joint, uh, somebody told me uh, there was something for me in the back of the building. I walked back and there was this envelope with my name on it, and it was just like this envelope full of cash. Uh, it was one of the most humbling experiences of my life. I was able to pay some bills, uh, get people to quit calling me to pay bills. Uh, I was able to put some food in my belly. I've since put a lot more food in my belly. Uh, <laughs> but it wouldn't make sense, right, at that time, if I was to go around like just waving that money, like fanning myself off with all this cash, like, oh, look at me, I got so much money, this is great. And like, I was going to pizza joint, and there was somebody who was less fortunate. It would make no sense for me to be like, well, what are you doing with your life? Like, you don't have a job, do you? Well, you should get a job. It would make no sense for me to act like that with this gift that somebody had given me. The only reason I was able to afford anything was because of the generosity of someone else. It would make zero sense for me to be puffed up and arrogant about something I had no hand in accomplishing, something that was given to me. So as we think about that, I want us to think because we act humbly because we realize everything we have is given to us by the grace of God. We have not earned our intelligence. We have not done anything to deserve the gift of salvation. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 tells us this, right? Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? And then you received it. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? I think through, I was thinking through as I was preparing for this, and I was thinking through the song we often sing, How Deep the Father's Love. And I love that line. It stands, oh, why should I gain from his reward? For this I have no answer. That I would boast in Christ alone, his death and resurrection. Like, we have nothing to do with what we've been given. It's all God. There is nothing we could have done to earn that. And if we're going around puffed up and arrogant about it, we've missed the point. I urge us to pray for humble hearts. And to see that there's a difference between boldness and pride. When we tell ourselves that our faith is strong and someone else's is weak, that's pride, right? I think back to my story earlier about the Christians who held signs and protested at the Masters tournament and were yelling at people. Or I think about people who claim to represent Jesus as they uh, picket outside of events, maybe abortion clinics, on television, arguing politics, while there may be nothing wrong with those things, Nothing wrong with declaring our faith boldly when we begin to attack and belittle people. That's not boldness, that's arrogance. 
loving those who have opposing views, inviting them into our homes, breaking bread together, lending your ear to those who hurt, like that's a sign of humble hearts. That's a sign of humility. Those are signs that we see there is nothing we have accomplished on our own. Realizing that we are all weak, we are in desperate need of a Savior is humility. And in our humility is when we are being the most bold. As our time together comes to a close today, I want us to reflect back on that vision of Jesus we started with this morning, right? That vision you had of blonde hair Jesus or the flannel graph Jesus. Uh, did you guys come to a conclusion about like where that came from? Where, who informed that vision? Maybe you're able to dig a little bit deeper about, I want you to take this week and kind of dig in that and, and think, where did I first learn about Jesus? Was it Sunday school? Where did that come from? But my plea is that we put away the preconceived notions that we have about Jesus and that we look to the man who John speaks of in this passage. The man that God himself testifies about through the water and the blood and the spirit. We know that Jesus is the Son of God because the Father tells us so. The scriptures all point to the man and the work of Jesus. We can have ultimate confidence that because Jesus is who he said he was, that our salvation through him is secure. And because of this, our charge is to live and preach boldly. There's no room for arrogance. There's no room for pride, but only for humble hearts. Jesus is indeed the Son of God, and the Son of God is the greatest gift that our Father could ever have given us. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this time uh, to share my heart and to share this passage uh, with this congregation, God. I pray this week as we, uh, as we go and we live, God, that we live boldly, uh, God, with humble hearts, uh, but God, with hearts that are not afraid, not afraid of the confrontation, not afraid of the conversations, not afraid of the awkwardness, God. But God, I pray that you live through us, that you make our image of your son secure. God, that we trust ultimately you and what you say, God. It's in your name. Amen.